Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings here from sheltered in place. Tom Hartman here in my home in Portland, Oregon. Is Donald Trump doing the same thing that Herbert Hoover did in the 1920s and early 1930s? And will the result be the same? Stock market crashed in October of 1929. It got really bad by January, February, March of 1930 and then spread across the rest of the economy in, the, in that year, 1930. Herbert Hoover was still president. By 1931, unemployment was sweeping across the country. It was up around 15, 20%, pretty much about where it is now here. And Herbert Hoover kept saying, eh, this is just a dip. You know, capitalism does this every seven to 10 years. You have, a, you have a recession. This is just a recession. We'll get out of this. It's gonna weed out the weak companies and the strong companies will survive. And just hang on, don't worry. We don't need to do anything. You know, kind of whistling past the graveyard behavior. And of course, in the election of 1932, November 1932, the American people overwhelmingly said, screw that, and elected Franklin Roosevelt, who said that he was going to, you know, his first job was going to be to do something about the Depression. And he did. And he became insanely popular. He was elected four times to the office of president of the United States, nearly served out four terms. His fourth term, of course, he had a stroke and died while in office, putting Harry Truman in as president. And then Harry Truman ran for re-election and won as well in the election of 1948. So is that what's going to happen now? Is Donald Trump's denial? I mean, you got Scott Atlas now, Trump's Ebola czar for all practical purposes. That's not his official title, but he's clearly the guy who's in charge of uh, coronavirus policy. Scott Atlas is a quack doctor who uh, used to pretend to be a doctor. I mean, he is a radiologist, right? Uh, he knows how to read an MRI. That's what he does for a living. <laughs> like, like that helps a lot, right? He played a quack on Fox News and he is a quack. He's dispensing BS non-scientific medical advice and comments to the people. And, and uh, over the weekend was out saying, basically, uh, don't worry, be happy. This is, frankly, obscene. 
This is what Scott Atwood, keep in mind, this is a doctor who is supposed to be our chief guy on coronavirus. Over the weekend, he tweeted, the only way this stops is if people rise up. You get what you accept. Hashtag Freedom Matters, which is one of the slogans from Freedom Works, which is one of the groups that the Koch brothers started back when we elected a black president to try to prevent him from having any any kind of success at all, particularly with regard to Obamacare. Uh, Hashtag Freedom Matters, hashtag Step Up. And, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, this was a new attack on Gretchen Whitmer as well, the uh, Democratic governor of Michigan. She says, we know that the White House likes to single us out here in Michigan, me in particular. I'm not going to be bullied into not following reputable scientists and medical professionals. A little bit of a slap at Atlas suggesting he's not reputable. The attorney general for Michigan, Dana Nessel, says, I look forward to a new federal administration that works cooperatively with our state government to protect Michigan residents. A patriot the attorney general of Michigan said, is one who protects America from its enemies, both foreign and domestic. COVID-19 is the enemy, not each other. Stop pitting Americans against each other and start supporting policies proven to effectively fight the virus. So this is the situation. It, it, and it sure looks to me like Donald Trump is, this is like right out of Herbert Hoover's playbook and you know, essentially right on time. It's 80 years since the end of the last crisis that was caused by Herbert Hoover. That crisis ended with World War II and resolved itself you know, more or less around 1950. 1950 to 2020 is, is, uh, is that 50, 60, that's 70 years. Okay, say 1940, that's 80 years. And uh, this is what, you know, of course, Strauss and Howe proposed in their book, The Fourth Turning, that every 80 years By the time you hit 80 years out, people have completely forgotten the stupidity the last time somebody did something stupid, and they repeat the same stupid mistake. And you get another crash, another uh, another war, another political disaster, and a new reformation. 80 years ago now was the Great Depression and World War II. 80 years before that was the Great Crash of 1865, followed by the Civil War. 80 years before that was the Great Crash of 1770, followed by the American Revolution. And they take it all the way back to the War of the Roses, literally every 80 years. Now, you know, it's very kind of facile and mathematical and all that, but it sure seems to me like that's, that's what's going on. It's amazing. I got like 20, 20, 30 emails from Donald Trump and his kids over the weekend. I think it's a a legitimate question. You know, is Trump going to be able to hold his cult together? And what is the state of the Trump cult right now? To begin, it does turn out that Donald Trump was right. The election was rigged. And he would know, of course, because he was the guy, along with his good buddy, Louis DeJoy, who rigged it. I mean, historically, so-called conservative, I, I, you know, most people call them white racists, conservative efforts to rig the vote have been entirely focused on preventing people of color from voting. I mean, it's very straightforward. For almost a century, they were things like, you know, count the number of beans in the jelly bean jar or pass this literacy test or recite the Constitution of the United States backwards. And, you know, these other low-tech, really very blatant strategies. And then they started getting fancy about this in the 1960s, in particular. It started with the 64 election, Barry Goldwater's election. By the way, uh, Louise and I watched the first part of that new, I think it's uh, Showtime series on the Reagans last night. Fascinating. Um, but in, <laughs> in any case, in the 1960s, you know, Reagan was very active then, too. As Barry Goldwater was coming up, 
Now, keep in mind, and the one thing that really surprised me in the, in the piece on the Reagans is that they didn't mention this correlation, which was that in 1964 and 1965, but in 64 in particular before the election, we had passage of the Civil Rights Act and then the Voting Rights Act. These two pieces of legislation were the principal animating force of the entire Republican Party from the 1964 election with Barry Goldwater, literally to this day. They have been working to repeal the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, and in fact, they've gutted both of them through the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court took out all, you know, all the preclearance stuff on the, on the Civil Rights Act, and, or on the Voting Rights Act, rather, and has gutted parts of the, the Civil Rights Act. And I mean, it's, it's been death by a thousand paper cuts, but they're on the job. Well, there's no coincidence there. It was back in the 1960s when the Republicans started adopting voter suppression as their principal way of winning elections that William Rehnquist, a local Arizona lawyer who eventually became Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, this is how he started. He started this thing in, in the 60s, in 64, you know, for the 64 election, the Barry Goldwater election, called Operation Eagle Eye where he and a bunch of his uh, lawyer friends, he was a big guy, he was like 6'2", you know, 200 and some odd pounds, a big guy. And he would stand outside polling places in Native American and Hispanic neighborhoods and loudly challenge voters. Do a lot of it outside so that they wouldn't even go in to vote. They just, you know, turn tail and run. And that was his thing, that was, and, and you know, it, it grew, right? It became a thing. 20 years later, in the 1980s, the Republicans rolled out this thing called caging, where the RNC would mail postcards to registered Democrats. And the postcards would say, you know, we want to confirm your voter registration. If you are registered as a voter, please return this card, put a stamp on this card and return it. And if you are not a registered voter, you can throw it away. And of course, I mean, who's going to do that, right? And so then they would go into the Secretary of State's office and say, you know, here's the names of 40,000 people that we can demonstrate are, not, are no longer uh, you know, living here to vote. By the late 80s, the Democrats had a restraining order against the Republicans for caging. This, by the way, was a, a technique that Karl Rove was the master of. He was the puppet master for caging in the 1980s. It's uh, one of the things that made him so famous in Republican circles. So then in 2000, it morphed again. This is kind of the history of Republican voter suppression efforts. In 2000, George and Jeb Bush, who were the respective governors of Texas and Florida, got together and George provided Jeb with a list of felons in Texas. And because African-American names are drawn from a relatively small single language pool of English language names and Hispanic voters, are, their last names are drawn from a relatively small pool of Spanish language names, whereas white voters come from a very large and diverse um, language-based pool. Uh, you know, you've got Slovani Slov Slovenian and, and German and French and Spanish and Dutch and Norwegian and, and Czech and, I mean, you know, all these different languages. You've got all these different last names, and this is why you don't see a lot of Krasinski's Polish last name among African-Americans or Hispanics. So, so when you take a list of a state like Georgia that has a large black population and you compare that list against, say, the state of Montana, 
where there's not such a large black population, you can effectively knock out all the black people in that other state by saying, oh, they're doing that. And Chris Kobach turned this, you know, first of all, in 2000, George and Jeb used this exact strategy to knock 90,000, according to Greg Palast, 90,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls, which got George Bush within 500 votes of winning the election in Florida. He lost the national vote by a half a million votes. Chris Kobach turned that into a nationwide system called interstate cross-check. Finally, in 2000, Trump came up with a new scheme, right? Because the, uh, the Republican voter suppression is constantly morphing. Just, just when Democrats figure out the old scheme, they come out with a new one. And in 2020, Trump came out with this new scheme. The worse the virus got, the better the scheme worked. You know, letting the pandemic run wild, he told his people, his voters, don't worry about the pandemic. You need to vote in person. You can't trust the mail. Meanwhile, you know, CNN, MSNBC, and Democratic politicians were all saying, get your mail-in ballot. Don't take a chance. Don't risk your life. Meanwhile, Trump and Joy removed and destroyed over 600 high-speed mail sorting machines, machines that could sort 40,000 pieces of mail an hour, hitting swing states the hardest so that the mail ballots would arrive too late to count. And it looks like that actually had some considerable success particularly in Georgia. There's a lot of speculation that John Ossoff would have easily won the Georgia election had all the ballots, uh, the mail-in ballots, arrived on time. But, you know, we don't know. This is going to take a post-mortem. But now the scam that the Republicans are promoting is to challenge the signatures on the outside of the envelopes. And, uh, you know, and, and they've already done this. They've literally thrown out millions of these mail-in ballots all across the country simply by challenging the signatures. It's nuts. We need an absolute right to vote in the United States. If Brian Kemp wants to take your, away your car or your gun, he needs to go to court. He should have to do the same for your vote. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with uh, thoughts on uh, Donald Trump, Herbert Hoover, the Great Depression, and the coronavirus. What's the correlation? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's. Or enter the code Hartman, the two ends, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? You know, it's funny. I, we've talked many times, but I, there was one specific thing I wanted to talk about, but I've been you know, listening, watching your program as, as we've, you've progressed. And there was a really interesting thing that I read about the Hoover-Roosevelt uh, transition. They had some real heated discussions, and that's an understatement, prior to Roosevelt being oh, yeah. into office. And there was one little anecdote. Roosevelt's one of his sons actually wanted to punch out Hoover. You know what I mean? So that's how serious yes. that was. And Hoover, right up until the day that, that, uh, that Roosevelt was inaugurated, Hoover thought he could convince Roosevelt that the best thing to do is just to wait and let the situation resolve right. itself normally. And, and, and Roosevelt told him to go take a hike, basically. Yep. And, and it's over funny, and you know, you, if you want to put that, relate that to what's happening now, at least Hoover was a fairly literate person. That's impossible with Trump. You see, that's never, that would never transpire with Trump and Biden because he didn't even approach that. The fact that yeah, you know, I think Hoover had a PhD. I mean, he was a right. maybe not a PhD, but he was he was a very well educated man. He was a very right. smart man, and yeah. he actually it wasn't that he was an idiot or that he didn't believe the math or the science or whatever. It was just that there had never in human memory at that time, because it had been more than eighty years since eighteen fifty six, there had never been a nationwide crash anything like what Hoover was presiding over, and he had no idea how bad it was going to get. He kept thinking, "Oh, this is just one of those cycles. They happen every." seven or eight years. He really believed that. Donald Trump, I don't think, has that kind of integrity. Herbert Hoover and, and Franklin Roosevelt eventually reconciled. And in fact, Roosevelt put Hoover to work in his administration. Right. But Donald Trump and Joe Biden... Because he actually be saw that what FDR was doing was actually making a difference. You see what I mean? That's, that's irrelevant right. with Trump. You see, that's the that's key right. aspect of that. And as far as... And he applauded. Yeah, my neighbors said, and we talked this before, this one Republican I saw interviewed on TV, Portland is burning down because of the Democrats. Literally, that's what they think. And that if she gets COVID and dies, that's just the way it is. You know, I mean, that's a lunacy. And then one of my neighbors, he's had a heart condition for a number of years, and he was scheduled for surgery. And literally, he can't go in for surgery because it's, it's, it's not available to him at this point. He basically doesn't know what to do. So you know, on a personal level, that's the kind of stuff that happens. But initially, what I'm going to talk about, and I'll try to be as brief as I can, MSNBC was just, I think, is just as responsible for getting Trump into office as Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh on the Coke Industries and on and on, because they got rid of Keith Oberman, Ed Schultz, Martin Bashir, and they relegated Sharpton to a weekend program where he probably his viewership disappeared to half of what he had. They may be making inroads into the Midwest. If you look what Ed Schultz, he's passed away since then, but he was literally responsible for getting Walker out of politics, basically. And yeah. they were thinking, wait a minute, if we, we allow these guys to really make progress for society, we won't have, we won't have the misery to report every day, and, and, you know, and our demographics and market share are going to go out the window. Because all those guys disappeared. And one quick thing, Keith Oberman has a YouTube thing right now. I, I'd recommend that you look it up and see some of the stuff. Oh, I've, I've seen it. With. His rants are epic, as they always have been. Uh, Keith yeah, is really very, great very stuff, but all you have to do is listen to it. You know? So I think MSNBC yeah. was just about as responsible as the Republicans for getting that lunatic because you, you can't tell me that. Didn't well, part of it was the purge of the progressives. Uh, they also right. got rid of Chenk Uger. But I think that had more to do with getting ready for the Clinton candidacy and flushing out the Bernie folks. I think it had more to do with that than it did with their wanting Trump. Although Comcast, which you know owns MSNBC, 
I don't know if it's still family owned, but at that time, I believe it was in the family. It's a southern right wing family that owns it. Well, you know, um, Tom, and ultimate, and, ultimately misery sells. You see what I mean? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's like but, 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 uh, the, you know. but where I was going with that, Tim, is that they yeah. they were just constantly putting Donald Trump on the air. I mean, he was right. just absolute catnip to them. And so you can say the same thing for CNN, too. But yeah, Bill in Roanoke, Virginia. Hey, Bill, what's up? Do you think this delusional game show host is attempting a scorched earth policy? Yeah, he's he's doing the old biblical uh, pour salt on their fields thing right now, um, changing rules and regulations, particularly around climate change and the economy and uh, protections for working people, unions. Oh, um, didn't he put a um, coal and fuel lobbyist in charge of the EPA? The guy in charge. The, the guy in charge of the EPA is a coal lobbyist. The guy in charge of the Interior Department is an oil lobbyist. The Interior Department is busily selling off our national parks and federal lands to companies that want to oh. drill for oil. And the EPA is busily reversing. They've reversed over 100 major regulations that reduce pollution, reduce cancer deaths that would have, now they're going to go up because they've repealed them and done so in a way that will increase the profits of the polluting industry. So you're he, absolutely right. He's a psychopath. I mean, he's, he's a delusional game show host that's attempting to be a leader, and he's not. I agree with all that. And I think that perhaps more importantly, he's billion dollars in debt, at least as far as we can tell. He's been laundering money for international crime figures for at least 30 years. He's an incompetent businessman, and he is an incompetent president. He's not being president. He's tweeting. It's crazy. Is Donald Trump going to be able to hold his cult together after he's no longer president? There are not huge fan clubs for past presidents. <laughs> they, you know, they can make a few bucks giving a speech here and there, especially if their reputations are intact, or even if their reputations are enhanced by their post-presidency, as was the case with Jimmy Carter. But uh, generally speaking, once you no longer have that power, you kind of fade away. But before they fade away, this just came out. This is breathtaking. It's, it's published in the Washington Post. It was, just went up. Juliet Eilperin. The headline kind of says it all, but I'll give you the details. Trump officials rush to auction off rights to Arctic National Wildlife Refuge before Biden can block it. So what rights would those be? Is it the right to go up there and, you know, do big game hunting, kill bears, wolves? Uh, no, they already did that uh, during the Trump administration. Is it the right to uh, have a you know, giant mining operation that's going to pollute all kinds of rivers, the Pebble Mine? No, I think they've pretty much already done that. Now, this is for oil and gas companies to, uh, now that the Arctic is melting, there's a much longer period of time when you can bring your oil dr drill rigs up there and drill and, and pull out oil and natural gas in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, this is going to be published tomorrow. It's called a call for nominations, which is a fancy way of saying bids. And uh, this is an up there. They're going to lease out 1.6 million acres of the Arctic Wildlife uh, Refuge, National Wildlife Refuge, uh, to oil and gas companies. This is the Interior Department, uh, you know, being run by a coal lobbyist and or excuse me, an oil lobbyist. And uh, they're going to try and do this thing. I mean, this is 
just the, the top of the, the icing on the cake for Donald Trump. Destroy as much of America as possible, right? Kill off a quarter million Americans, damage our democracy, corrupt an entire political party, impoverish as many people as possible, move as much wealth as possible out of the pockets of working people into the top 1%, uh, which he counts himself among, and now poison the planet as much as possible, poison Alaska, despoil the lands. This is based on a 2017 congressional authorization to drill in the refuge that the Republican, this was when the Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate. They passed this. They haven't been able to unpass it because of Mitch McConnell. So there's that. And in Wisconsin, we're seeing, you know, another variation on this theme. There's a judge on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. They're going to hear this case about whether Governor Tony uh, Evers' mask mandate for Wisconsin to save lives in Wisconsin, whether it is constitutional under the Wisconsin Constitution. And this state already has 2,600 people dead and 312,000 people diagnosed. This one particular judge, this is the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Rebecca Bradley, notoriously right-wing, has a relationship with a fellow by the name of Fabric, or maybe it's Fabic, Jer Fabic, J-E-R-E-F-A-B-I-C-K, who has given more than $350,000 to uh, Republican and conservative candidates, including $20,000 to this justice. And he's one of the people who is bringing this lawsuit. Now, under normal circumstances, if, the, if the, one of the litigants in a case before you as a judge has given you $20,000, you have to say, you know, I can't be impartial in this case. I'm going to have to recuse myself. But she's refusing to do this, which is just, I mean, you know, Talk about corrupt on a stick. I mean, it just doesn't get worse than that. Meanwhile, on the coronavirus front, Sweden has unveiled tougher coronavirus restrictions. This in today's Financial Times. The ban on public large gatherings is being called by Sweden's Prime Minister, Stefan Löfven. He says, this is going to be the new normal. Advice and recommendations went a long way this spring, but now compliance is lower. Now more of a ban is needed to bring down the curve of the number infected. Now, this is the prime minister of Sweden that conservatives all over the United States have been quoting and loving and saying, yeah, 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 he's great. Well, last week he banned serving of alcohol after 10 p.m. and now has both uh, special local recommendations to avoid public transportation and avoid going into stores everywhere in the country. He has also banned concerts, lectures and theater performances. Sweden, by the way, right now has 10 times, this is on a per capita basis, 10 times more cases of COVID than its neighbor Finland, four times more than its neighbor Norway. So, uh, in fact, last week, the rate at which people were being admitted into the hospital is growing faster in Sweden than any other country in Europe. Meanwhile, it turns out Donald Trump, last week I had somebody call into the program and say, oh, you know, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo really blew it with the nursing homes there, caused a lot of people to die. And I, and I said, yeah, I, you know, I think he was moving he, or he authorized some people to move without being tested or there was some variation on that. I don't recall all the details, but basically, yeah, he, he, he screwed up. But this is uh, <laughs> this makes Cuomo look like a piker. First of all, seniors at long care facilities 
right now don't have the ability to sue if the lawn care facility does just corrupt, uh, stupid, absurd things that cause these seniors to get infected. Now, why don't they have the right to sue? Because Donald Trump in his first year in office stripped that away from them. If you're the family of somebody in an old folks home and that person gets COVID and dies and you can demonstrate that it was because the old folks home did not follow protocols, that they had people working who were sick, they weren't wearing masks, they were jamming people into rooms, you know, whatever it may be. You know, anywhere else under any other circumstances, you could sue. And any libertarian will tell you that the lawsuit is what should replace all regulations. This is a core tenet of conservative libertarian republicanism. That you do away with all regulations, and when companies do things wrong, their harmed customers or employees or whatever will sue them, and those lawsuits will cause them to change their behavior. Okay... So why did Donald Trump make it basically illegal to sue them? He rescinded a rule that Obama had put in place that would have prevented corporate-run facilities who receive federal funds from, being, from forcing their residents into arbitration after suffering harm from care. The Obama administration, by the way, this is from Raw Story, found significant evidence that pre-dispute arbitration agreements, this is how they, what they used to have, Obama blew it up, Trump put it back into place, negatively impact the quality of patient care and create negative incentives on staffing and care because there is no threat of substantial jury verdict for substandard care. Findings, by the way, that the Trump people did not dispute. They were like, yeah. We're taking a step that is going to screw the people, it's going to harm the people who are in nursing homes, and it's going to eliminate the ability of their families to get any money for the bad behavior of these nursing homes that took you know, thousands and thousands from these families. You can't get that money back. Sorry, tough luck. Why? Because we're Republicans and that's what we do. It's amazing. The Trump administration has also taken an extra step to line the coffers of the corporations running these facilities, which are large Republican donors. HHS has dedicated $10 billion to the facilities. They haven't worked to blunt the spread of the coronavirus, but they are taking the money. Isn't that sweet? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. 
I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind? Yeah, well, earlier you asked how COVID's been affecting one's life. And mm -hmm. I remember back in March when everything was getting going with COVID, and you said basically you and your wife were just staying at home every day. And, you know, you might take a walk in the morning or the afternoon. <clears throat> I took that to heart because basically that's been my life ever since. I have not been inside a store or any other building other than my own home since March 10th. We so take a walk getting, every day. We try to walk two miles a day, but I literally have not. I am not willing to walk in. Everything that we have eaten, drank, or uh, anything else has been delivered to the front door of our house. And we, we bring it inside with a pair of gloves, let it sit for a day or two so that if there's virus on it, they die. And then we open it up. Go ahead. Yeah, I haven't gone that far. I have been in stores. You know, where I live, Santa Cruz County, we've, up until now, up until the last week, we didn't have much COVID here at all, which is amazing because, you know, it's sort of a tourist attraction during the summer with the beaches. About half the summer, the beaches were closed. Monterey has had a much worse problem, which means the aquarium's been closed since mid-March. I volunteer there, so I haven't been able to do that. I still at 866, so I was refereeing rugby matches. The, the rugby season got canceled, and, and it's not restarting because of COVID until probably until there's a vaccine. So uh, that's nothing compared to people who've lost relatives and friends and so on from COVID. I don't know that I really know anybody who's died of COVID, but a trip to the UK canceled twice. So, wow. you know, I'm kind of like in limbo. I can't do things yeah. I want, like a lot of other people. I'm just yeah. waiting for that vaccine to come around so that life could get back to normal. But I think I'm going to be wearing a mask from now on to most places outside where there's people around, uh, oh, even yeah. when there's oh, yeah. a vaccine and when COVID's over, because I just don't want to get sick. <laughs> Yeah. No. And this is this is a nasty, nasty sickness. Uh, you know, I had a friend who emailed me the, over the weekend and he said, you know, only about two percent of people who get this die. You know, and I replied, yeah, but, you know, of the people who get it, about half of them have symptoms. And of the people who have symptoms, 70 percent have, 
you know, long-term heart damage. You know, 20% have, you know, mental cognitive problems, including dementia and paranoia. I forget the percentage of people who have strokes. I mean, you know, it's serious. This is a serious virus. You know, Louise and I have pretty much just kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that it's probably going to be the middle of the summer next year before we're willing to walk into a store, you know, or before we'll be able to get together in person with our kids. Now, we have met with our kids a couple of times in their backyard, everybody wearing a mask, everybody staying eight feet apart, but which is just, you know, it's just tearing us up that we can't hug our grandkids. We can't, you know, we can't hug our kids for that matter. You know, it's everybody's got to, you know, stay their space. This is going to pass, Dennis. It, It may be, you know, a half a year or more before it passes, but this is going to pass and we'll all have some amazing stories to tell our grandchildren one day. Okay, so uh, I retweeted this, uh, I think fairly early on. This was, uh, as I recall, maybe Saturday afternoon. It's from a nurse, Jody Daring, D-O-E-R-I-N-G, J-O-D-I-D-O-E-R-I-N-G is her Twitter handle. And it was just so poignant. I, I read this and it was like, whoa, it just, it just hit my heart. She tweets, it's a, it's a little tweet thread. She tweets, I have a night off from the hospital. As I'm on my couch with my dog, I can't help but think of the COVID patients the last few days. The ones who stick out are those who still don't believe the virus is real. The ones who scream at you for a magic medicine. And then Joe Biden is going to ruin the USA. All while gasping for breath on 100% Vapotherm. They'll tell you there must be another reason they're sick. They'll call you names and ask you why you have to wear all that stuff because they don't have COVID because it's not real. Yes, this really happens. And I can't stop thinking about it. These people really think this isn't going to happen to them. And then they stop yelling at you when they get intubated. It's like an effing horror movie that never ends. There's no credits that roll. You can't just go back and do it all over again which is what I will do for the next three nights. But tonight it's me and Cliff and Oreo ice cream and how ironic I have on my home hoodie. The South Dakota I love seems far away right now, writes Jody Daring on Twitter. Can you imagine trying to save the lives of people who are actively telling you that you are lying to them that they have COVID? It's just, it's like, it's breathtaking. But this is actually happening right now in hospitals all across the country. I, I, you know, I know, uh, you know, uh, two of my kids work in the hospitals here in Portland. We are, we are approaching maxed out. The governor just shut down the state. If the order goes into effect, I believe on Wednesday of this week, you know, closing bars, closing restaurants, fines. They're getting serious because we've gone from, you know, 100 cases a day statewide, 100 cases a day to 200 a day to 300 a day to 500 a day. And just in the last couple of weeks, because I get the email every day from the state of Oregon, from the, you know, the Department of Public Health. And uh, just in the last couple of weeks, you know, it went from 500 to 600, 600 to 750, 750 to 900. And then we've hit 1,000 
cases a day over the last few days. Here in Multnomah County, uh, the city of Portland, you know, we're up in the neighborhood of 150 to 250 new cases every day. And, and of course, deaths are starting to increase. The deaths are the lagging indicator. I'm wondering if, if COVID is starting to affect you. One of my kids called me yesterday. He's a public health official, which is a tough job to have right now, and called and said that one of his former employees, older brother, the older brother of one of his employees, just died from COVID. You know, was in the hospital, gasping for breath, believe he stroked out, I don't have all the details, and, uh, and died. It's getting closer and closer, right? It's getting closer and closer to all of us. This thing is, is blowing up. I think pretty soon, I mean, we've got 10 million people in the United States who are now carrying this virus or who have now been diagnosed with the virus and a quarter million dead, roughly. And pretty soon it's going to, there's going to be pretty much everybody is going to know somebody and then it's going to start getting real. Meanwhile, the Star Tribune, the Minneapolis newspaper is reporting that Republicans in the Minnesota State Senate discovered that several of their colleagues and staffers were testing positive for COVID-19. And they had just had this, you know, kind of meeting or session or whatever it was where Democrats and Republicans were there together. So the Democrats were exposed to these COVID positive Republicans, as were the Republicans. So did the Republicans let everybody know? No, they only told the GOP folks. The governor, Tim Walz, says, I don't understand why Senate Republicans chose to share positive cases only with members of their own party, putting staff and other senators at risk. He says, at the end of the day, we're all Minnesotans. No, those Republicans don't think of themselves as Minnesotans. They really don't. They don't think of themselves as Michiganders or Oregonians or anything else. They think of themselves as basically the last gasp of the Confederacy. The Confederacy has essentially taken over the Republican Party and is alive and well right now in these right-wing groups, or these neo-Confederate, neo-Nazi groups. And frankly, I think we should be calling them that, neo-Confederates. Everybody calls them neo-Nazis already. It's just terrible. Sweden, by the way, just issued lockdown orders. Sweden. Paul at Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, how's our resident philosopher doing? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask him. Today, my thoughts are this. I think we need, and I don't know why we don't have, I, I guess we don't, or we'd have heard about it by now. We need a federal law compelling the transition of the president, the incumbent president, to the um, president-elect, whether that's, you know, when a president's been voted out or at the end of the second term, and I think it should include both civil and criminal penalties, parts of it, which would be essentially once the election has been called by the news networks, which is what we accept, generally accept, that the the incumbent administration has three days to begin the ascertainment transition. And if they don't, the campaign can be fined a million dollars a day. I mean, think of it this way. Look how much local judges are willing to find teachers unions for not going back to school once they've been ordered to go back of a strike. And now you have the president who won't transition. And I would say this, once the election has been certified, 
and the electors enter their votes. The, that is, it's official in December when the electors go to enter their their votes. Then I would say it goes into the criminal realm, and not only that, the fines would go to ten million dollars a day, and non-payment of fines would could result in uh, prison time because this would be federal. These would be federal crimes. It would result in fe- in prison time for the candidate or the uh, the subject of the campaign and the top campaign advisors, as well as the head of the GSA, who's refu- right now refusing to you know comply with the with the transition. How can this be that the that the the person who lost the election can and hold the entire country hostage? This is the result of a large part of our government being operated by virtue of norms rather than laws. I mean, you know, George Washington resigned after two terms saying that it would be unseemly to go beyond that. And, you know, that held as a norm right up until the 1930s. And uh, and then and then when FDR violated that norm, Congress stepped in and actually amended the United States Constitution to say no president can do that again. And I suspect that because the Trump administration has figured out all those areas, all those things that are associated with the levers of power and the access to money and reimbursement and everything else, uh, where something is a norm rather than a law and they have basically just blown it up. Congress, and I would hope that Republicans are in on this, too, because they would see it as a way of, you know, circumscribing the the Biden administration. Um, Congress needs to, as you say, uh, uh, correctly, uh, we need to turn a lot of these things that have been norms into into law where they influence things like, you know, our our military readiness or, you know, our ability to deal with crises like a pandemic or whatever it may be. I mean, it's just, you know, we're we're just we're getting hammered by these guys and it's wrong. Paul, thank you. Well said. Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's up? You know, before the election, the national polls were rating Trump's performance. He had one of the lowest ratings of any president. How come is it that now almost half of the American people polls show that Trump far more often than these polls before the election? I don't understand that. And another question that I have I haven't seen the polls going up, Alfredo. What I saw was that the election results didn't always comport with the polls, but you know, the polls were showing, you know, a seven percent difference between a seven and ten percent difference between Trump and Biden nationally. But it looks like, you know, they might actually be on. I mean, you know, you got almost eighty million people voting for Biden, just slightly over seventy million for Trump. That's a substantial spread. I thought there was some kind of discrepancy there between his performance uh, polling, uh, polling the president, President Trump as one of the lowest polling uh, ever of any president. Have you seen any he polls has, since the election? I no, not. I haven't. That's what. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I, I, I think the polling companies have all just kind of gone quiescent and they're and they're trying to figure out, you know, where they made mistakes. But you're, you're absolutely right, Alfredo. There, there were clearly mistakes made. Zach in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Zach, what's on your mind today? I want to talk about hey. buzz terms and buzzwords and how damaging they can be. Case in point, the few far right labeling the center, the left for 40 mm-hmm. years and beaten that dead horse. I want to talk and the about left, the, the far left. devastating effect of these kind of terms and how the how we, the left, could maybe use the same technique on buzzwords to get out of it. Now, now, what I want to say is like using the word cut, cut subsidies to the oil companies, defund the police. We've got to stop that. 
We've got to start using words like redirect. Don't say cut. I just retweeted a, a video of a cop pulling a black guy over because he had, quote, a dirty license plate and then just walking up and tasing him. And when I retweeted it, I said, it's time to reform American policing. In fact, I said it's one Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. And another example would be when we talk about the new climate as it relates to the new, you know, the jobs in the new economy, mm-hmm. we could talk about things like training programs that were taken from funds redirected from the oil companies into these training cr- programs designed to take people directly from lower paying oil jobs into higher paying clean jobs. And uh, for instance, an example would be the backhoe operator. Uh, and this would be even with no training, could be directly, you know, transferred over to uh, digging ditches instead of digging ditches for pipeline. It could be working, cleaning up dump sites, uh, releasing, you know, the flow of streams clogged up. Rebuilding forests. And rivers, digging foundations for wind machines and uh, solar array fields. You know, what do you yep. think? Yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. And that's and that's actually the concept behind the Green New Deal is that there are all these literally thousands of different individual discrete projects that fall into dozens of categories all around the country that need to be done. And they all have an energy impact either in how they're brought about or more importantly and more more frequently um, how they operate over the long term. And so let's rebuild this country. It's badly in need of rebuilding. Ronald Reagan basically stopped the forward movement of any infrastructure in America. I mean, most of our infrastructure dates back prior to 1981 when Reagan took power. Our bridges, our roads, our public buildings, you know, we really haven't been building much over the last 40 years. And the reason why is because Reagan cut the top tax rate from 74% down to 25%. And surprise, surprise, there's no more money for those kind of things. And so if we were to raise taxes back up where they were when the economy used to work for middle class people, the 1940s to the 1980s, if we were to raise taxes back where they were so that the top tax rate is between 74 and 91 percent on the billionaires and and the taxes on working people are actually much lower than they are right now and that's and that's how it was by the way prior to reagan reagan raised taxes on working class people lowered taxes on billionaires and every republican since then has has made it even worse if we were to do that we would have more than enough money and then on top of that the fossil fuel subsidies 600 billion a year that's almost the pentagon budget and look you know how big the pentagon is all over the world everything it does think what you could do if we took that same money and devoted it to making your house energy independent. Don't even need wires anymore, high tension lines. No, you know, we can take apart this whole clunky infrastructure that blows over every time a hurricane or tornado goes through. So uh, I'm on uh, Donald Trump's uh, email list, as you well know. And uh, these are, I'm just going to give you a little taste. I've gotten uh, something on the order of 25 or 30 emails since I went off the air Friday afternoon from Donald Trump or from Rudy Giuliani or from Eric Trump or from Don Jr. or, you know, fill in the blanks, right? This one's from Mike Pence. Thomas, I have great news with the president's win in North Carolina. We've proved to the left that no matter what the 
what the, the media says. This election is not over. More votes are coming in for President uh, Trump every single day. And with your help, we'll have four more years for the American people. But it's only possible with your help, Thomas. The president and I are counting on you to help fund the official election defense force. And then you click on the link and it says, oh, 60% of this money is going to Donald Trump's new private personal slush fund super PAC. Honest to God, every single one of them, every single one of them. Actually, I didn't click the link on every single one of them. I clicked the link on about half of them. And after a while, I was like, okay, there is no difference here. It's possible there's other ones. This is the second one. This is from Donald Trump. Fred, as I have long said, the success of a coronavirus would only be announced after the election. Pfizer and the others probably don't have the courage to make this historic announcement before November 3rd because they hoped it would help me from winning. (laughs) It's just a nuts. He says, the truth is, if Joe Biden was president, you wouldn't have a vaccine for four years. And it goes, you know, it goes on from there. You're one of my most loyal supporters. Please contribute immediately. I'm sharing this with you because this is what tens of millions of Americans are receiving in their email inboxes right now. And what probably more Americans are seeing on Facebook every day. This is from the Trump Election Defense Fund. Once again, you click on it, it takes you to a link that says the money's going into Donald Trump's brand new, he just started it two weeks ago, brand new uh, PAC, which is run by him, owned by him it's his, uh, and, and his friends. It's a slush fund, basically. Fred, we must defend Michigan. <laughs> Trump was up big on election night, and then almost as if by magic, Millions of Biden votes were dumped late at night in Michigan with absolutely no oversight. These are all lies, of course. The presidential race remains extremely tight. We have filed a lawsuit in Michigan. And, uh, you know, they go on through this. Trump is fighting back to defend the integrity of the election. This is the most important moment in our movement's history. Please, if if you've saved your payment information, your donation will go through immediately. Uh, this one's from Noah and uh, Parisa over at FreedomWorks, the, uh, you know, gra- the AstroTurf organization that the Kochs helped found to uh, take down Obamacare back in the day. Uh, Barney, while the fake news media and the rest of the world is fixated on the outcome of the presidential election and the Georgia runoffs, lockdown leftists have quietly started increasing their horrible lockdown orders. School, school districts across the country have, become, have begun moving to full-time virtual learning. Celebration, Thanksgiving celebrations are being threatened. Increasing occupancy restrictions continue to threaten restaurants and small businesses. We cannot allow the lockdown left to close America again. We've already seen how devastating these lockdowns. That's why we're asking you to send your governor a message and urge them to keep America open. And after you've taken this action, please review some of the stories we've been tracking this week. For freedom. All right, here's another one from Donald Trump. It's been so heartwarming to see all the tremendous support across the nation from true patriots like you. Organic rallies have been springing up. One thing has become clear these past few days. I am the America's peop- the American people's favorite president. For years, the Democrats have been preaching how unsafe and rigged our election systems are. Now they're saying what a wonderful job the Trump administration did with the most secure election ever, which is true except for the, what the left did. They rigged the election. Okay. 
And then I get another one. This is from Donald Trump. Uh, So far, we have 234 pages of sworn affidavits alleging election irregularities in Michigan. Here are the allegations. Eyewitnesses. And then the bullet points with all these charges, you know, the saw a batch of ballots where 60 of them, percent of them had the same signature, a batch of ballots scanned five times, 35 ballots counted, not connected, blah, de, blah, de, blah. Turns out all those things have been debunked. They've taken these things into court and the judges said, where's your proof? And they've said, well, you know, we don't actually have any proof. I got a post-it note that somebody wrote down that one of the people who came in and was looking at the poll workers said that they thought that something was wrong. So the question, will Donald Trump's cult leaders continue to follow him? I'm thinking, given this kind, this level of propagandizing on a daily, I, I literally cannot go a couple of hours with, in fact, let me look at email right now. Yep, sure enough, there we go. I just got one from Newt Gingrich titled, It's Time to Get Mad. Scroll down a little bit. This is just while I've been on the air, right? Here's another one from Donald J. Trump. We need you. Increase your impact by a thousand percent. I've gotten three emails from Donald Trump's campaign since I went on the air two and a half hours ago. These guys are doing a full court press. It's all over Facebook. It's all over right wing media. It's all over right wing hate radio. And it's in email everywhere. You think they're going to pull it off? I don't. I'm very skeptical. But I think we need to be going into this with our eyes wide open. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The place where despair is not an option. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. I wanted to comment on your comparison with Trump and Hoover. I was thinking about it during the election. I take my vote very seriously, and I always agonize over it, okay? And I'm always filled with doubt, you know? Uh, you know or I'm always second-guessing myself. But I voted for Bernie in the primaries, and I voted for Biden in the general election, and I'm very content with my vote because there's a sea change underway. And Donald Trump, just like Hoover, is kind of blind to it. And that sea change, I believe, is a global depression. And also, during the election, I heard these things about sloganeering. That was a big topic. And also I heard overperformance. Biden overperformed in areas where orthodoxy says he shouldn't have. And Donald Trump also overperformed in areas where the orthodoxy said he shouldn't. So I started looking into that. And I have a theory on it I wanted to run by you. I believe that the reason why yeah, the reason why is Biden overperformed in areas they call that, that doesn't mean he won, but he overperformed in areas that they call rural. And Donald Trump overperformed not one, but in areas they called interurban or urban. All right. And I think what's happening is times are so desperate because of the pending global depression. Times are so desperate for some people that slogans is about all they have time to digest, okay? Look, Bernie this weekend was asked about Trump voters, and he said, Bernie said, look, Trump voters are not stupid. And Biden is also reaching out to Trump voters. And, you know, Bernie, that's just a general um, expression. They're not stupid, right? I mean, obviously they're not stupid. But here's the thing. Bernie is the absolute best labor secretary an average Trump voter could ask for. But the problem is they're going to do like Glenn Beck. They're going to compare 
Bernie, Trump and his minions are going to compare Bernie to Saul Alinsky. They're going to vilify Bernie because Bernie and Biden, their administration, I think because of the depression that's coming, are going to have to make. I don't, hard, I don't think it's going to work, choices. Dave. I, I don't, I don't I don't think it's going to work. I, I agree with you on the on the depression that it, I don't think it's coming. I think we're already halfway into it. I think we're about where we were in 1930, late 1930 because it just got worse gradually over a two-year period. And then the bottom fell out in 33, in the spring of 33. But I really think that, I mean, when I lived in Washington, D.C., and Bernie was running in the primary against Hillary Clinton, every Republican I knew voted in the primary for Bernie. I don't recall in D.C. if you had to re-register your party affiliation or if they have open primaries. But I knew a whole, I've told this story a thousand times on here, and most of them were military. And they were just like, Bernie gets it. Bernie's such a brilliant communicator, even Republicans get him. And that's why they don't vilify Bernie. That's why Bernie isn't in the name list that they do. If they want, if they want to go after somebody who's Jewish, they go after George Soros. And otherwise, they'll go for a woman of color. You know, AOC is handy. Although Rashida Tlaib or, you know, Trump's favorite is, uh, you know, the, the Muslim congresswoman from Minnesota, Ilhan Omar. I think that that's what they're doing. Well, you know, I was in the military, and we had this military decision-making process, right? And, and they kept using this term inflection point. This is what we call a decision point in the military, where the commander must apply resources. Okay, all the evidence that the commander has to, whatever resources he or she has at their disposal, okay, to achieve their objective. And right now, I think some hard decisions are going to be made. We can no longer ignore the spread of poverty, okay? Resources are going to have to be applied to uplift people out of poverty. Herver had that thing, we're turning the corner. See, this is what Donald Trump is doing. He's doubling and tripling down on what he knows, which is pure capitalism. Okay, he's doubling and tripling down because of the sea change that's coming. All right, and and it's not going to work. Right, and he's reciting the, the David Koch ideology, that, you know, which Reagan picked up in 1980, which is the government is the source of our problems, it's not the solution to our problems, and free enterprise and billionaires and large corporations will be the things that save us. They always saved us in the past, they'll always save us in the future, let's forget everything government has done for us from day one. And, uh, and, and thus it's all socialism. The other good news is that the Biden administration, or the, the Biden administration in waiting, has put some really good, genuinely progressive economists into their transition team. And uh, I suspect that most of this is the influence of Kamala Harris. Because she is one smart woman, she's got great people working for her, and uh, I'm just, I'm looking forward to the next four years. I think it's gonna be fascinating. Assuming that we make it through the next two months. Anyhow, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You know, democracy is not a spectator sport. It needs all of us. And I hope your week is starting off well. Be kind to yourself and the people around you. We all are all having a hard time right now. Be good to people and yourself. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 